Hello and welcome to episode 5 of More Queer Nymphs, a podcast in which I explore mythology through a queer feminist lens. My name is Claire M. Coombe and I'm a freelance classicist and writer. Today I'm going to be talking about Circe. Circe's fame has undoubtedly spread since the publication of Madeleine Miller's spectacular novel, Circe. If you haven't read it, consider this a recommendation. If you listened to episode 4, about Scylla, you'll also have heard me talk about Circe there, and I thought she deserved a follow-up with her own episode. In fact, I could do more than one episode about Circe. I'm quite sure she's going to come up again, so if there are favourite aspects about her that I don't cover, please do get in touch. Circe, or Kyoke, to give her her Greek name, lived on the enchanted island of Aiaia, with her nymph companions. She was herself a daughter of Helios, the sun god, by Perse, a daughter of Oceanus. Her name derives from the Greek kirkoo, meaning to loop round, referring to the binding power of her magic. We see references to her travelling on Helios' chariot or borne by dragons like Medea. She and Medea, according to Apollonius Rhodius, had in common the flashing eyes that shone out rays of light since they were both descended from Helios. Sounds pretty fucking cool to me. Circe achieves most fame in Homer's Odyssey. Odysseus, on his tenure Nostos, stops at Aiaia and sends men to explore the island. They hear Circe's alluring singing and are offered Xenia, hospitality, by her. However, she drugs their food and transforms them into pigs. Fortunately for Odysseus, his companion Eurylochus waited outside, suspicious of Circe, and is able to tell him what happened. Odysseus is then aided by Hermes, convinces Circe to transform his men back, but first tells her to sleep with him, and also has a big dinner. When the men are restored, Odysseus stays with Circe for a long period, at least a year, since other traditions tell of two children, Telegonus and Cassiphone, and others of even more. In the traditions where she has Odysseus' children, she is seen waiting in hope for Odysseus to return to her, and eventually sends Telegonus to find his father. However, in a tragic case of mistaken identity, Telegonus kills Odysseus, whose body is buried on Aiaia, to where it was also accompanied by Penelope, Odysseus' wife, and his older son Telemachus. In some accounts, Circe resurrected Odysseus. In others, Athena forced Telemachus to marry her, while Telegonus married Penelope. In others again, Telemachus marries his half-sister Cassiphone. Telemachus is also said to have killed Circe in an argument, only to be killed by Cassiphone in return. These final stories seem to depict a very different woman, no longer immortal and full of magical powers. However, in stories such as Scylla's last time, we most definitely see Circe's power to transform in play. Scylla became the famous monster, just as Circe also turned Picus into a woodpecker when he refused her advances. We also have a famous parallel account to Odysseus' visit to Aiaia when the Argonauts visit, seeking purification after Medea and Jason's murder of Medea's brother Absyrtus. Medea was Circe's niece, and perhaps for this reason alone the Argonauts didn't also end up as pigs. And as an aside, the reason they go to Circe for this purification was because the talking beam of the Argo, their ship, told them to. Had they not, according to Apollonius, it would have punished them with endless wanderings on stormy seas. Pretty cool. Circe is not exactly welcoming to Medea on this occasion either. 
parroting the common narrative that she cannot accept Medea having thrown in her lot with a foreigner, that is to say, Jason. Cersei conducts the rites but won't forgive the crime and sends them away from her house, despite Medea's distress and clear subordination to her aunt. If we wanted to think about the psychological impact of such a move, we can surely assume that Cersei added yet another layer to Medea's growing trauma with its tragic results. Perhaps one of the most attractive things about Cersei is that she has a strong preference for animals over men. I understand this. When Odysseus' crew arrive at her gates, they're surrounded by animals, lions and wolves who fawn around them like domestic pets. Homer tells us that they've been bewitched by Cersei's magic, though scholars have debated whether he means to say that she's tamed their wildness or that they were previously men but she turned them into beasts, as she does with the pigs. We might compare the story in Pseudo Apollodorus, where she turns Odysseus' men into a wider range of animals than just pigs. Some wolves, some pigs, some donkeys, some lions. Odysseus has already killed a stag on the island, which he believed a god sent into his path to feed his hungry crew. But another level of reading would be to assume that the stag, too, was once a man, living without fear of being hunted on this island where animals and people are one and the same. If so, and the transformation is as with the pigs, then the stag would retain a human mind, and a vegetarian-minded reader can see here a critique of the slaughter of animals for meat. The first appearance of Circe in the Odyssey is among my favourite descriptions of her. She walks before her loom and sings. On the one level a typical Greek woman, not dissimilar to Penelope. Yet there's an otherness to her singing and the binding magic represented by her weaving. To read from Latimer's translation, The men heard Circe inside singing in a sweet voice as she went up and down a great design on a loom, immortal such as goddesses have, delicate and lovely and glorious in their work. Now Polites, leader of men, began the discussion. Friends, someone inside going up and down a great piece of weaving is singing sweetly, and the whole place murmurs to the echo of it, whether she is a woman or goddess. Come, let us call her. While commentators have argued that the singing allows the hearer to deduce the actions of the occupant, there could be another level of interpretation here. Hearing the song creates a magical image to the men of Circe, her binding powers are attributed to a number of types of magic, potion, her wand, and her words. She's able to bind with her song, luring them in, and this image is conveyed through the metaphor of weaving. Something at least convinces them that she might just as much be a goddess as a woman. The nature of Circe's power draws on ideas from Greek magic, from folkloric motifs, and from a complexity to her character that plays out in a number of ways. We can look closely at the transformation of the men into pigs in the Odyssey to explore this. So firstly, Circe gives the men drugged potion, barley and cheese and pale honey added to Pramnaean wine, which she puts into the mixture of malignant drugs to make them forgetful of their own country. As Hoybeck notes in his commentary, the lions are modelled on Hecamede preparing a potion in Iliad 11, but Circe, of course, adds the pharmaca, the evil drugs. The purpose is similar to that of the lotus flower, with its amnesiac qualities, but Hoybeck says that the difference is that the lotus eater's purpose wasn't malicious. However, I kind of wonder whether Circe sees her own magic as malicious here. Her happy lions and wolves, if they are transformed men, imply a happier life in animal form, and she does feed the pigs richly with the best acorns. The loss they endure seems to be one of identity, 
but in Cersei's mind, their identity may not be worth preserving. They keep some human intelligence, but no sense of self, since this is restored only when they're turned back and recognise Odysseus. But they take on porcine form. Given that the outcome of the Odyssey is the loss of every man other than Odysseus, they might well have been better off staying in the styes. We could also note the rationalisation of the myth by the 2nd to 3rd century CE rhetorician Athenaeus, who understood the myth as denouncing drunkenness. Odysseus remains sober and therefore unscathed. I'm not much of a fan of this interpretation, but it's a reminder of the relationship between perceived vices in the men and their subsequent transformation. The actual metamorphosis is affected with the strike of Circe's wand in Homer, but in Ovid's account of the same story, we're told that it was the drugs distributed by a sacra dextra, that is to say magic or holy hand, as well as the striking of the wand. This suggests a power inbuilt in Circe which complements her skill with magic potions. The reversal in Homer requires anointing of the pigs and the use of the wand, but in Ovid it also needs her to sing magic spells, adding to the interpretation that there's power in her song, as I suggested earlier. In the transformation of Scylla too, Ovid tells of Circe using spells as well as her potion added to the bathing pool. To get there, she's able to walk across the water, an additional magic ability that sets her apart. In Circe, we see a figure of great power, but as with many tales of powerful women, we see some dominant negative depictions. We also find a deeply complex character, which undoubtedly makes her more appealing to me for her richness and authenticity. For one thing, Circe's a lonely figure. She surrounds herself with nymphs, but we see no relationship there, only a mistress-servant dynamic. She seeks love, but handles it so incredibly badly. She can, it seems, far better relate to others once they are transformed into animals. That itself a non-consensual act of assault on their bodies. On the one hand, this tells us something about our authors. They can't imagine a woman who could have power and normal relationships. Her power removes her from the ordinary sphere of marriageability. But I think it may also tell us something in practice still about how to handle being a powerful woman in society. How women often feel forced to be like Circe, but could choose to act differently? Circe defines herself by her work, her magic, but seems to find it impossible to accept anyone into her charmed life. If indeed it is charmed and not just lonely on Iaia. Her taste in men is truly terrible. She's attracted to royalty, Picus, self-aggrandizing gods, Glaucus, and deceitful heroes, Odysseus. She seems to want only what she can't have. She's threatened by other women, punishing Scylla directly, Carnens indirectly. She seems in both ways to me to be very insecure beneath her powerful exterior. Only by understanding her as extremely insecure can I begin to understand why she'd submit to Odysseus the way she does. After such a direct and decisive show of power towards his men, we see a complete reversal once she realises that her power has failed her. It's almost as though it's only then, when she feels like she's found an equal or even a superior in Odysseus, that she agrees to sleep with him, apparently falling for him in the process. I'm not going to lie. There's a self-destructive quality to Circe that resonates very strongly with me. There's something here about doubt in her own qualities, except in recourse to the things she knows and does well, that is to say, magic. Faced with failure in herself, her beauty and her power, she seems to submit. It's hard to imagine what she sees in Odysseus in particular, and yet she clings to him. 
thinking perhaps there is even something in their relationship if he's eventually taken to Ayaya after his death. I think we see this insecurity in Circe played out most vividly in Apollonius Argonautica when he describes her nightmare. He says, She'd been terrified by a nightmare in which she saw all the rooms and walls of her house streaming with blood and fire devouring all the magic drugs with which she used to bewitch her visitors. But she managed to put out the red flames with the blood of a murdered man, gathering it up in her hands, and so the horror passed. When morning came she rose from bed and now she was washing her hair and clothes in the sea. A number of creatures whose ill-assorted limbs declared them to be neither man nor beast had gathered round her like a great flock of sheep following their shepherd from the fold. I think a therapist would have a lot to say. Sissy seems to fear her own power, resorting to murder as her only way to free herself from this side of her personality. Yet she's also terrified about the loss of her magic. It's almost as if she knows that she's only got two ways to be, a witch or a killer. She cannot be a lover. Even Odysseus doesn't stay. The only ones who are faithful to her are the peculiar creatures who gather like sheep to their shepherd. I mean, it seems fitting to her own sense of self that she ends up causing Odysseus' death when she sends Telegonus to find him. Circe's sense of her own self as only capable of destruction must surely have been brought about by others' construction of her as such. We see no other side to her. In this sense, Madeline Miller did her great justice, exploring a childhood that might have ended up manifesting in the character we see in the myths. It seems also that some part of Circe is lost in the death of Odysseus, her power no longer manifesting in the latter myths, except in those where she resurrects him, I suppose. In either case, it's a tragic ending, showing to what extent she's become reliant on a sense of self that is defined in relationship to a man. What I'd prefer is to imagine is the Circe who lives as queen of herself and of Aiaia, creating her own rules and an environment where she can be herself with her animals, not defined by her fear of rejection, her jealousy of other women and her need to submit when she feels she's failed. I think I've been both Circes and many people know what that's like. The latter is surely better. I mean, I'm not condoning turning everyone who comes along into a pig however appealing that might be. But it does sound good, doesn't it? Thanks for listening to more Quimints. I'm Claire M. Coombe, and you can find out more about me and about my writing at clairemcoombe.com. That's C-L-A-R-E-M for Medea, Coombe, C-O-O-M-B-E. You can find my novel Camilla on Amazon now, and my second novel, Nereid Song, will be out very soon. You can also follow more Quimimps on Facebook, Instagram and mostly Twitter, so please do join in the conversation. Until next time, when I'll be talking about sirens and nereids, here's a song about Circe. <laughs> Mine, how 
come, my pretties, come, my pretties, hear my call and enter in. Let me touch you, I can change you, you will leave a different man. Taste my meat and taste my wine, sweeter than the sweetest drug. Tell me what you think of swine, surely better far than this. See my lions wish their tails, they were once so much like you. I could tell you pretty tales while you munch on cherries sweet. Come, my pretties, come, my pretties, let my magic change your lives. Drink this potion, sweet transition, stay with me, forget your wives. Come, my pretties, come, my pretties, such the finest pets you be. Trap your passions, wicked actions, pigs are better, you will see.